Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, go with me in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 123. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. That, that word you can take anywhere you travel and you can say, Amen, and they'll understand what you're saying. Uh, it, just, it just translates in every language. It might sound like amen, but it's amen. And uh, we have so much to celebrate this morning that we give to God our highest praise in the hardest times. We're studying the songs on the road as pilgrims made their way. This is their playlist as they would gather in Jerusalem. And the video that just played Uh, We've been showing a scene of modern-day Jerusalem, but if next time that video plays, you look beyond the script that's on the the scene there, on on uh, the page, you'll see behind that script is a landscape. It's terrain, and that's Israel. And if you look in the distance, you see the Sea of Galilee. And as they would be making their journey, they would be coming to Jerusalem. This is a modern-day picture. And so Solomon's temple, the foundation is still there, but the temple's not there. It was destroyed in AD 70. It's just as Jesus had foretold that every, uh, every stone would be turned over and they would take all the gold off of every stone and they would throw it out into the valley. And there's not been a physical location for worship for the Jewish people who reject Jesus as Messiah for 2,000 years now. And what Jesus said to the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, when she said, should we worship where your fathers say to worship, or should we worship out here in the Samaritan country, should we worship where our fathers say to worship? And Jesus said, the day is coming, the hour is coming when the Father is seeking worshipers. It's not about where you worship. That's not the ultimate. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It's just not ultimately the most important thing. It's who you worship. It's who you belong to. It's who is your master. And in Psalm 123, we're going to enjoy, there are so many scriptures dealing with God's mercy throughout scripture, and we're going to hear some of these today. As Israelites would travel, as they would make their way to Jerusalem, they would encounter all types of discrimination. The Israelite people have They understand what it is to be persecuted. They understand racism throughout their entire history. That isolated little location has suffered violence from all around it for all time. Where does it come from? Where does it come from when someone looks at somebody with a different color skin, they speak a different language, and there's hatred in their heart? It's fueled by the fires of hell. Because every single person is made in the image of God. And so the question comes for us, coming out of last Sunday's message, is who gets our voice? Which, who's, who is your master? It comes out in how you talk. It comes out in how you think about other people made in his image. And the Israelite people understood what it is. And this psalm doesn't have a tidy resolution at the end. It's a song, it's crying out for mercy. Mercy from the Lord. God dealt with the sins of his people. One of the most beloved passages in the Old Testament comes out of Lamentations. The weeping prophet. And God has been working in my heart that as I see all of the things going around, 
I see the, the time that we live in, all of the problems that plague our society, plague our nation, is that I don't respond just angry. I'm upset that, that my liberties or my freedoms, and that just brings about an anger instead of what Jeremiah had, the weeping prophet. He was moved to tears. When he saw rebellion, when he saw rejection of the Almighty God, he was broken hearted. He wasn't brazen and brash. He was tender. And out of Lamentations, we hear Lamentations chapter 3. This is when the Israelite people would look around and it looked like they had been abandoned. It looked like God had forsaken them. It looked like their God was not able to deliver them because they were decimated. The steadfast love of the Lord, Lamentations 3.22, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Amen? Never. They are new every morning. And you can hear the stair step in this prayer. Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah, but Jeremiah, you and your people have lost everything. No, we haven't. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We've been able to see two baptisms recently of wives who waited patiently for the Lord to do in their husbands what they could never do. And there are some in our congregation here this morning and some are watching online and they're still praying for that and they're holding out for hope. Well, let the Spirit of God, sir, just sear Lamentations 3.26 over your children and their children and hold out for hope and wait patiently. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a coworker. Wait patiently on the Lord. His mercies are new. Listen to how John Calvin gave an introduction to this psalm. He said, in this psalm, the faithful, oppressed with the cruel tyranny of their enemies, beseech God to deliver them, there being no other source of hope left for them except in his protection. They only have one hope. It's in the Lord. It's in Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 123 is like a, a flare prayer. It's a short prayer. It's straight to the heart of God. It's real. It doesn't candy coat anything. The psalmist isn't pretending. He's crying out for mercy from the Lord, his master. Follow along there, if you will. Psalm 123. He says, to you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. And it just ends. 
four verses, a short prayer, appealing to the Lord for his mercy. Here's where we've been so far. Psalm 120, the Lord is my deliverer. He was looking around at all of the problems around him and he realizes the Lord is my deliverer. Psalm 121, the Lord is my helper. I look, lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The maker of the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 122, the Lord is my peace. There is no peace to be found outside of Jesus Christ. You can search for it, but the psalmist looked up to the house of the Lord. So he goes from looking around circumstances, people, problems, within. He lifts his eyes up to the hills. He lifts his eyes up then to the house of the Lord. And in this Psalm 123, his eyes go elevated further. The Lord is my master. He looks up to the heavens. You can't look higher than that. You're looking up. He's looking up and he can't see the Lord, but he sees the heavens that the Lord has created. We need to define mercy. Mercy is defined as compassion on the miserable. Okay? Mercy is not an award for the most talented. The person who achieved the most, here's mercy. Mercy is for those who recognize themselves to be a sorry wreck, a mess, and we own it. We need mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. What do we deserve? Hell. The wages of sin is death. We deserve hell. Mercy is I'm delivered from hell. And then there's grace. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve, which is heaven. Purchased through the blood of Christ. Mercy, not getting what I deserve, punishment. That fell on Jesus. Grace, receiving because I'm adopted as a child of God. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're seated in Christ. You have all things. You're an heir, a child of God. That's grace. We owe everything to God's mercy and grace. And you remember in Luke 18, Jesus talked about the, the tax collector, and he's in the temple. There's a Pharisee praying, I thank thee that I'm not like everybody else. So religious, you know, upright in his own mind, and he's praying with himself to himself. And then there's the tax collector and he's beating his chest and he can't even get him just to bring his eyes to look up. And he cries out one thing, be merciful to me, a sinner. I wonder, have you ever prayed that? Have you ever said, God, be merciful to me? And let's just call it what it is. I'm a sinner. I've offended you. Mercy is not passing over sin. Oh, shucks. I told you not to, but, well, okay. No, that's not mercy. Our sin must be atoned for. So either we have to pay the penalty or in our place, Jesus paid that penalty on the cross. Matthew 5, verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they, they shall receive mercy. Where does this mercy come from? It comes from him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, it's, it's God's mercy that saves us. It's not our merit. It's not what we can do. It's what he has done. It's his mercy. In Romans 9, verse 16, Paul the apostle, he would write that salvation is entirely of God's grace. And he says it this way, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
this doesn't fit with how we normally think. You work hard and you save and you do this and you budget and then and it's a good in the end. And so God helps those who help themselves. You've heard it said. It's the, the one problem is that's not in the Bible. God is merciful to those who say, I can't help myself. The more I help myself or so-called, the more mess I make. So be merciful to me a sinner. And the Lord says, now that person I can deal with, that person I can help. Not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So let me ask you this morning, who is your master? I'm not asking if you have a master. I'm saying, who is your master? You have a master. You either have a good master or you have an evil, wicked master. You have a good master who laid down his life in your place to set you free, or you have a master who is a thief who has come, as Jesus said, to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what thieves do. They get it from their father. Who's your master? Who is your master this morning? And I'm arguing for you this morning. I'm arguing. I'm laying a case out, and what you do with it is up to you. Okay, I deliver the mail. You have to open it. You have to read it. You have to respond to it. And the day will come when you're accountable that you heard a message of mercy. And I'm saying this. The Bible says it this way. The psalmist says it this way. If God is my master, okay, then I can look to him for mercy. And there's three things we can respond in saying with the psalmist. Number one, Lord, I'm desperate for you. This is personal. The psalmist starts here. He's crying out to the Lord. He's admitting, I am personally desperate for you. To you, I lift up my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. So the psalmist is aiming for something. He's saying, take your gaze and lift it up. Lift up your eyes. Get above yourself, above your resume and your reputation and the good and the bad. And you don't know who I am and what I've done and how awful I am, how great I am, how amazing I am. Get our eyes off self and put them on someone higher. Someone enthroned in the heavens who will never be impeached, isn't up for any election, has to spend nothing on campaigns. And everything he says is timely and right and righteous and wholesome and good. And everything he does is good. And so the psalmist has to say, so teach me your statutes because I'm still not understanding. But you're good and all that you do is good. Who can you say that of outside of the Lord? You can't say that about me. You can't say that about the person that you see in the mirror every day. We can only say this about the Lord. Our gaze should be elevated. Lift your eyes up. Elevate. Look up. Look up. Augustine said it this way, trials serve to prove and to improve us. So when trials come, difficulty comes, they're serving. They're for a reason. They're never wasted. Trials are not worthless. That doesn't mean we enjoy them. That doesn't mean we, we like, you know, sing some happy song as if it doesn't matter. It does matter. And God knows. But our trials that we go through are not wasted. They prove us and they improve us. Our gaze should be elevated and beloved. Listen to the psalmist. He's saying our God stays enthroned. Our God remains enthroned. He is always reigning, has always reigned, and will always reign. 
over all kings, over all kingdoms, all times, all places. Our God is in the heavens. He looks down on everything and everyone, and we look up, and we will always look up. There's not going to be a contest. That means nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing that has happened in your life this week, this year, in your lifetime, has taken God by surprise. The same is true for me. He reigns. He's enthroned. That means he's sitting. He's not striving. He's not worrying. He's not, oh, what's China doing? Oh, what's North Korea doing? Oh, no, look at the U.S. and its condition. Oh, my goodness, have you seen their politicians on both sides of the aisles? The Lord is not fretting. He's not pacing. And he, nobody's going to push him off the throne. That's where he is enthroned. 3,000 years ago when this psalm was penned, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked this earth and the Father turned his face away from the Son, he was enthroned in heaven. And that's where he is right now. That matters when he is your master. That's good for you. If he is not your master, if you are your master, buying the lies of Satan, that means he's not for you, he's against you until you see Jesus that he sent in your place. Our God stays enthroned. In Psalm 122, we saw David's throne. The scrappy son of Jesse, passed over by Jesse and all the brothers. Look at this one. How about this guy? How about this guy? What about this guy? He's strong. Um, is that all your boys, Jesse? I got one more. He's out in the field. You really want him? Go get him. And Samuel learned the lesson that we're still learning, I'm still learning, that man looks on the outward appearance. God searches the heart. Yep, the heart. Nothing's hidden from him. Nothing surprises him. Above every throne is Yahweh's throne. And so Paul would write in Romans 8.31, what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, a lot, of, a lot of forces can be against you. They just can't win. If God is for you, you have the God who is enthroned in the heavens, and he is for you. If you don't belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter who's on your side. There's no one going to... Un- unseat Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. So Isaiah 66 says it this way in verse one, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now, when you hear that, you think, wow, it sounds like he is removed and distant in a way, and we have no shot, we have no hope. Where is help going to come from? Well, listen to what the Lord says. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you hear the Lord take a position of, I'm over you and I'm for you? I will wait on you. I will fight for you. I will be your defender. And what is required? Be humble. Be brokenhearted before his word. And he will work on our defense. Look up to the one who is looking down. That's what the psalmist is saying. Look up. He's looking down. He's not looking down like people look down on you like, oh, you drive that. 
You know, you live there. Oh, you only do that. You've been in the company how long? You know where I am? You know where my office is? The Lord is looking down to see those who are looking up to him so that he might fight on our behalf. Where do you look when trouble comes? Where does your gaze go? If you go to social media, that's no help. If you look inside, there's no help there. Listen to the psalmist. Look up. Can I just ask you the question, are you taking time on a daily basis to stop? And before everything gets going in the day, look up. Don't ignore the one who is looking down. Look up to him. Look for God's people. Look around. Who is with you? Who is also looking up? Who encourages you to take your eyes off the situation, the current events? Look up to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Surround yourself with those kind of people, the merciful people. When trials come, where do you look? When blessing comes, where do you look? Because it's easy when, when, oh, I got another pay raise. Oh, things are going well. Sold another. Did this. It's going great. Then it's easy to look to self. And blessing comes. Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4. Look at my kingdom. Look at what my hand has built. I'm amazing. I'm, this is incredible. Matter of fact, I'm incredible. And then he, seven years, is going through the forest like a wild beast. And when he came back and the Lord returned his sanity to him, he didn't say the same thing. He said, look to Daniel's God. All nations fear and tremble before him because he can put you down in a moment. And he can raise you up in a moment. Don't forget the rich farmer Jesus spoke about in Luke 12. Remember him? My, what a, my, what a bumper crop. This is amazing. I have so many crops coming in, which not many farmers said last year around here. Right? The fields were left. There's so much rain. I saw him working hard this year, you know, planting dust flying, everything, getting, this, getting the seed in the ground. This guy is, look at all I have. I have everything I need. Matter of fact, I have extra. Let me just rip down these barns. I'm going to build new barns. Why? Because I can. Because then people will, you know, drive by in whatever they were driving 2,000 years ago and look at my barns and say, didn't he have barns before? Yeah, he has so much money. His crops were so great. He tore them down and look at his barns now. Oh, nice barns. I wish I had barns like that. And then somebody's wife would look at him and be like, you don't even have anything to put in a barn. You know, just stay on the donkey. Let's, let's go to market. Yeah, I don't even have anything to put in a barn. But the Lord showed up to that man that night and said, hey, you fool. You planned for everything. Manage the market just right. Planted on the right week, got the right soil, the right fertilizer from the right other farmers out there. Put it all out. Yeah, you had all of that. Where did it come from? And who's going to get it? Because tonight your soul is required of you. And then who's going to have your barns that you didn't get a chance to tear down? Who's going to eat all the food in those barns? Not you. You're not going to taste any more of it. And that night, the expiration date on his life came up. We have to learn these lessons. Where do we look? When blessing comes, when times of trial come, where do we look? Listen to the psalmist. Look up. 
Can we say with the psalmist, Lord, I'm desperate for you? Can we say then in a, commun- in a communal way, Lord, we are devoted to you? He quickly moves from, I have a problem. I'm going through this. You know anybody that you get around them and it's going to go right back to I, I, me, me, my. And quickly the psalmist moves away from the personal to the community. My concern is for the people of God. My concern is for my brothers and my sisters, my family. It's community. Our eyes are on the Lord. He is the one who's provident over every aspect of our lives. And so the psalmist writes, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Beloved, don't miss the look here. It's so important. The psalmist says, behold, okay, pay attention. Don't miss this. Put it in park for a second and check this out. Look up. Or is he saying, hey, God, look down. Behold, look, look at what's going on. It can be either way. God, look on the affairs of our life, look on what's going on at these occasions and, and our families and our church and our, our city and our nation and our world. Behold. But then we can also say it to the people of God. Hey, let's, let's look up. And then he uses this, this uh, link here. Don't miss the link, all right? Don't miss the look, but don't miss the link because he's linking as servants would watch. Maybe they're in a palace and they're looking at their, the king or the queen, And if they're highly trained and valuable servants, then the king doesn't have to say, excuse me, can I have a drink of water now? The king can simply motion a hand. And that trained servant knows exactly what the king wants, knows exactly what the queen wants, knows exactly what their master wants. Now, when we talk about masters and we talk about servanthood, then it's a given that throughout history there's been good masters and there's been awful, wicked, evil masters. There's been wicked, cruel masters that you could just spend the life of those who were enslaved to them and they regarded them as nothing but property that they could be expendable at any moment. But here in this psalm, the psalmist is looking and it's a Middle Eastern culture and he's looking in these royal and he can see somebody who's highly trained and their value, that their eye is trained on the person that they serve. And he's saying, shouldn't we be like this? Have you ever done a project, work on a project, and somebody's helping you, and they know what's coming? A dental hygienist, and they're working, and the dentist comes in, and he moves everything, and that person is just right there with every tool at the right time, at the right moment, taking this, handing that, going there, and the dentist doesn't have to say, okay, I'll have this now with uh, that and the other, and then the person has to be labored with every single bit of technical training of how to be a dentist or a dental hygienist. They just know. If you're on a project and you're working and somebody's like, I think they're going to need this tool. That's very different than having to talk through everything and then look around and be like, where was the person helping me? Where did they go? Oh, they're on their phone. They're playing a video game once again. Ah, just warms my heart, right? What do you want? I need somebody else. Somebody who's looking at what do you need? Your hands are occupied in the work. How can I help you? And they're right there. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, this is a good worker. How do I keep this person around? They're valuable. Don't miss the link, though. He's using these analogies for both men and women. This isn't just for men. A man valuable in the kingdom of God. No, no, this is men and women. God is looking on. He is looking after men and women can look directly. Women don't have to look through men to God. We can look directly to God. 
the maker of heaven and earth. So he makes an observation here, and then he makes an application that if there are human servants who are so devoted and waiting on their masters like this, then shouldn't we, as people of God, shouldn't we be greater than that? The argument is from lesser to greater. If human servants who serve serve human people who are bound to make mistakes because we're all sinners, then how much more are we as the people of God serving a God who is perfect in all of his ways? Should we be constantly? Now listen to what uh, Spurgeon, he gives some words that describe these servants and how the people of God should serve. They'll come up on the screen in this way. As believers were to serve our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, reverently. There's to be a holy awe, an inward fear of our great and awesome God. What a privilege it is. There's a reverence there. There's obediently, that we serve obediently, doing whatever the Lord commands, and it's from the heart. And I told this in the first service, when uh, Ginger and I, we we went to uh, Chick-fil-A, had some gift cards to use up, hadn't been able to use them in months because of the whole shutdown thing. So we just had to go to Chick-fil-A, just had to, arm twisted. So we get there, and you know what? You know what the people say at Chick-fil-A? You know, can I have this or thank you? And they say, my pleasure. Well, there was one young lady working there in this particular place that was just having a very difficult day. You could just see it all over her face, even through the face mask. It was sagging down. And she's there, and she's just, just, it was sad. And so she came, she brought our food. We're waiting. And then we said, could we get some ketchup and some of that Chick-fil-A sauce? And here's how she responded. (sighs) my pleasure. (laughs) And she turned and sauntered off to go get more. And Ginger and I just laughed. And we're like, ooh, I don't think I've ever heard it quite said like that. You know, (sighs) like, you know, brush off the food from all that. (laughs) Like, wow. Um, Maybe you could put some in a pocket or something and have it with you. I mean, obediently, but from the heart. Not just like, okay, fine. Here's my offering. No. It's obediently from the heart, attentively, our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. We serve continuously. Listen, beloved, we're never off duty. You don't punch out from being a Christian. You're a child of God. When do you punch out from being your parent's child. Well, sometimes, pastor, I'd like to. Yeah, well, it doesn't work that way. You're always going to be related. So figure it out. Continuously, expectantly, that we're eagerly waiting for everything the Lord provides. We're eagerly waiting. What do you want from me, Lord? Where can I serve you? Solely. You can only have one master. Some of you work multiple jobs. You have multiple bosses. That's not being owned by a master. You can only be owned by one master. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve God, and uh, the old word is mammon. It's not just money. It's your reputation. It's wealth. It's status. It's fame. It's everything that people live and give and spend their lives for. And you can't serve God and that, you. You have one master to serve submissively, that all of our desires are yielded to the will of our Lord and Savior. So then we hit times of blessing, when we hit times of burden, we glorify his name. That's our desire. Is that your desire? 
Have you submitted your will to the will of our Father in heaven? And imploringly, imploringly, as we're trained for service, we're dependent on the Lord for his supply for us, and he is our defender. So we can implore him. That's what the psalmist is doing. Help. Needs your mercy. Who's your master? Say, you know, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable being linked up with you as having a master. That just sounds kind of diminishing. I'm not sure that that works or even that that's politically correct. Listen to what Calvin said 500 years ago. Why would we as Christians not be ashamed to call God our master? Here's what he says God is our defender and takes our life under his guardianship. God, I say, who purposely disarms us and strips us of all worldly aid that we may learn to rely upon his grace and to be contented with it alone. Why do trials come? To strip our fingers away of holding on to things that do not last and do not ultimately matter so that we will depend on God alone. So again, I ask you the question, who's your master? Because here's what's coming with that. Who's your defender? When God is your master, you win. No one can win against you. Not even our final enemy, death, has no shot. We sing that song, death can't win. You won't win. Tried. In the tomb, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus walked out. And when he walked out, I walked out of the grave. The grave cannot keep me at all. When I die, my bones go in the ground, but I'll be present with the Lord. Amen? Are you with me? All right? This is, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what Christ has accomplished. And so we can respond in a third way, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Lord, we are devoted to you, and here's our dependence, Lord. Deliverance comes from you. Our deliverance comes from you and from you alone. We're totally dependent on God for everything, or are you? Oh, I hope that you are. I would trust that you are, but I would not be naive to think that everybody here, whether at home or wherever you are, that you are totally dependent on the Lord. But a child of God is, we're dependent on his mercy. And the psalmist says, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. So here's what he's saying in our deliverance. It's past, present, future. The Lord has delivered us. Okay, now realize, by the Lord delivering the children of Israel, calling them by his name, that put them at odds with their enemies. Yes, the Lord is our deliverer. Great, now everybody hates us. What? How'd that happen? Because you have God on your side and there is an enemy. He's just gonna lose. He's defeated. So he takes as many as he can and blinds them. That's Satan. They belong to God. Mercy implies help that is undeserved. The Old Testament saints, they weren't saved by their actions. Hebrews 11, by faith. A lot of them messed up royally. They were saved by faith. We're just like Old Testament saints. We cannot save ourselves. We need God's mercy. He's just. He cannot overlook sin. He has to deal with sin in me, in you, in the world. He has to deal with sin. He dealt with it perfectly 
in Christ on the cross. James chapter 2 and verse 13, the half-brother of Jesus, he says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you a person just is, doesn't show mercy? You just keep the list of everything everybody's done against you and you point it out and you're really proficient at pointing out how people fail. These words should sear our hearts for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. You know what's better than judgment? Mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's the cross. The Lord has delivered us. The Lord is delivering us. That's why we're here right now. That's why you are here right now and able to hear the message of mercy is because the Lord is sustaining you. The Lord is letting you live. He's giving you his breath, walking his earth, looking up at his heavens that he created. We are saved by God's mercy from the power and the penalty, and one day the very presence of sin is through the gospel. But beloved, listen to me. We're not exempt from trials. There are people who are like, I gave my life to Christ, and then everything fell apart. Everything just went totally haywire in my life. It's like my life was going good. I mean, I didn't know Christ, and then I came to faith in Christ, and then everything went sideways. Have I done something wrong? Maybe it isn't what I thought it was supposed to be. That's why you have to read the word of God and you will find this is true of all saints. The psalmist is saying, we are saturated. That's the Hebrew word. We've had more than enough. More than enough. I'm filled and overflowing. It's what your parents says, I've had it up to here. I can't take anymore. That's what the psalmist is saying to God. Can you really pray this way? Yeah because he's bringing his petition to the Lord. We've had more than enough. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever said that? Maybe to someone? Maybe in the quietness of your heart? Maybe you've knelt down? Maybe you've screamed it in a car? I can't take it anymore. Look up. Satan will do everything, everything he can to keep your eyes focused on the brokenness in you, the brokenness in our families, to not have you look to the place that help comes from, where hope is found. Psalmist is saying, I can't take anymore. We can't take anymore. His concern is not just for himself, it's for others. Scorn. From those who are at ease, they're mocking. It often happens. People who are powerful, they're wealthy, they're famous, they're talented. It seems like they have no worries. It's not true. They're broken too. They look down on others. There's contempt of the proud being despised. These people, the people of God, were being despised by the arrogant that tongues can deeply wound hearts. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He 
He said this, great hearts have been broken and brave spirits have been withered beneath the accursed power of falsehood and the horrible blight of contempt. Words matter and words sting and words can heal. Words like, will you forgive me? Words like, I'm praying for you. Words that say, I love you. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to me. You're important because, not because I say it, because God says it, because Jesus Christ died for you. What more can be done to show you the value that you possess? Oh, the early church, they faced these. They faced persecution. Wait, I thought we were following Jesus, and Jesus is the Lord of everything. And there are people being arrested, and and James beheaded, and all this is going on. And in Acts chapter 9, the Lord hears the prayers of his people. And Saul of Tarsus, listen to what it says. But Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, those are Christians, those are believers, men or women, he didn't care, he'll take anybody, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, now listen to this, why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. Do you see when we say God is for you? When you understand that God is your defender, when you understand that God is your your master, then Jesus, our master, says, "When, when you talk about, when you mess with those who belong to me, I take it personally. And I will defend them. Paul knew that his salvation, his call to ministry, was all of God's mercy. Titus 1.13, he wrote this to the younger pastor. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Okay, that's his resume. I was trash. I was worthless. I was mean. I was vindictive, and I was powerful. And all of that is bad. And I don't have any pride in that. And what does he say? Oh, but listen to what God did. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The Lord showed me mercy. He would write about God's mercy in Titus 3, chapter 4, or chapter uh, 3, verse 4. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How? Mercy. Mercy. The Lord has delivered us. The Lord is delivering us, and the Lord will deliver us. This is future. All who are against him, all who are against his people, he will deliver us. On May 31st, Tony Evans, he's a pastor in Texas, his son or his daughter Priscilla Shire 
She went on Instagram. She did a live, Instagram live. And Tony Evans was sitting there, couldn't, you know, no meeting in church yet on that day. He's sitting there with his family. And he's sitting there with his grandsons and his family, sons, daughters. He's sitting there and they're talking about racism and they're talking about the different things that he's experienced. And he shared with them, and I'm just gonna share with you one account, that when he was being raised, when he was growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, he worked for a Jewish couple, a family, a husband and a wife. His responsibility was to take care of their kids. And he was driving and he was on the way to their home. He was supposed to be there at a certain time on that day. And he was pulled over by a police officer in Baltimore. In that police officer's estimation, he was out of place, didn't belong there. You're the wrong color and you're in the wrong neighborhood. He shares this account. He said, I don't even remember how long that police officer detained me. I don't know how long I was there, but I was late. Finally, he let me go. I didn't find anything. I, I, I left, you know, showed respect, left. I got to the house where I worked and the, the lady was so upset with him. Where have you been? You're late. You made us late. You're supposed to be here. And he said, I was on my way and I was pulled over by the police officer and he held me and I couldn't go. And she said, where? Where was this? She called her husband an influential Jewish man in the city of Baltimore. And that man went through the channels and it wasn't long and that police officer was working a night beat. He said, listen, children, family, listen to me. Don't get in God's way of bringing about justice. If I would have acted in an improper, wrong, sinful way, then God would have had to deal with me. That wasn't the place that I could deal with it. And God had people in place who understood oppression, understood racism, and they went through the channels and said, that officer showed poor judgment on this location. Please use the appropriate methods to deal with that officer. And here he is teaching his children and teaching his grandchildren, do what's right, honor authorities, and trust God with the outcome and use your voice in the right way through the right channels and bring about change and don't bring to where God has to deal with you. I found that to be so instructive and helpful. Our eyes are to look to the Lord. That's what the psalmist is doing. He can't go make it right with everybody. All the enemies spend his whole life trying to get right with the enemy. Can't do that. He looks to the Lord. Our eyes look to the Lord. We wait on him, but listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Isaiah 30 in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You see the Lord waiting? This God who is enthroned in the heavens is willing to take the position of let me wait on you. Let me watch and see what you need. Let me provide what you really need. The Lord waits to be gracious. And some people say, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with having a God who is awesome and you're telling me I need to surrender my life to him and, and give him authority and give him control over my life. That just doesn't sound right. Listen to why he exalts himself. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. And this is not a God you, you don't want this God on your side? For the Lord 
It's the God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Are you waiting on the Lord this morning? Am I waiting on the Lord? Can you pray with the psalmist? Can we say with the psalmist, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Can we say with the psalmist, Lord, I'm devoted to you. Lord, I know that my deliverance comes from you, not from me. What's your next step? What do you do with this sermon? I'll be honest with you. I need to grow in my understanding of God's mercy toward me, and I need to grow in showing mercy to others. How do I show mercy? But, but they said, but they did, but that look, but this, but that, but, 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 but. Be merciful. I've got a long ways to go in this. So here are three questions we're going to ask. We're going to think about, pray about, talk together as families. In what way or in what ways am I desperate for God right now? How are you desperate for God right now? What's going on in your heart, in your life, in your family that you are desperate for the Lord? Are we desperate for the Lord as a nation? If he does not intercede, if he does not show us mercy, I've said it week after week, help is not coming that we need from Lansing or Washington or anywhere else. This help comes from the Lord. I did see this week people being baptized, speaking of baptism, in the very place, in the very place where that death happened, George Floyd, they put a tank and they put water and they were baptizing new believers in Jesus on that location. I was like, well, that's a good piece of news to come out of a lot of horrible things that are happening lately. Describe God's mercy. Do you understand God's mercy? You say, I don't understand God's mercy. Take your app, take your Bible, do a study on the word mercy, merciful. And just soak yourself, immerse yourself in the mercy of God. How have I experienced God's mercy in my life? And the last question is then, what do I do with it? How do I express God's mercy to those who are around me and to this world where we live in for such a time as this? Oh, may we be merciful. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy displayed perfectly and vividly in Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God being slain for sinners so that we might know mercy. Lord, I pray for all who are here, who are hearing this message today, that if they have never tasted of your mercy, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good, that you are merciful and gracious and slow to anger, and they would find their their life, their rest, their peace in you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.